Hello, and welcome to Pridecast, the official podcast of Hofstra Athletics. I'm Stephen Gorchov. And I'm Mike Neely. On episode 24, today we chat with associate head men's basketball coach, Mike Farrelly. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Mike. Thanks, and go Pride. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Uh, we are now joined by associate head men's basketball coach, Mike Fairley. Mike, how are you? Good, Stephen. How are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. And as always, we're joined by uh, Mike Neely. Uh, Mike, uh, how are you today? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. We got two Mikes on the uh, show today, or Mike, our host, and Mike, our guest. So we'll try to not confuse our, uh, our listeners today. Uh, so Mike, um, you've been at Hofstra going into year, this is year eight, right? Year eight. Uh, remarkable. Um, college basketball, a, a, a sport where there's tons of turnover and tons of change. There hasn't been change and you're into year eight. Well, I guess starting right there, what's it like to just kind of head into year eight? You know, it, it has been a blessing to be here so long, and I think that's one of the reasons why our program has had such success is because of the continuity that we've had uh, and being here the whole time. You know, and think about Speedy Claxton and Colin Curtin, the other assistant coaches, them being here the whole time as well. So uh, very, very rare in college basketball. So I've been uh, very lucky to be able to call Long Island a home now and settle it as a home for my, my family, which I didn't have when I got here uh, seven and a half or whatever years ago. So uh, it's been great. I love it here. It's a great place and, uh, and happy to be here. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into the history here now of, uh, of your, your life, your career in, in uh, basketball. Uh, you're a 2003 graduate of uh, St. Joseph's University in Pennsylvania. Shout out uh, the greatest city on the planet. Debatable uh, at best. I'm sorry. What was that, uh, Mike? I said that's debatable at best. Oh well, I think Mike, uh, our guest, would agree. Uh, you were a student athlete on the men's basketball team there. Uh, can you talk about you? It was a really a, uh, a transformational period for that program. Uh, it really took off uh, the national spotlight. You know, while you were there, and exceptionally the year after. Uh, just talk about uh, your time there and kind of what what that meant to your development as a player and a student? Well, first and foremost, uh, Stephen A., I'm going to go with New York City as the greatest city in the world. Uh, Philadelphia can be a, a close second, uh, but... Uh, so yeah. again, the two mics versus the one. Yeah, correct, correct. Mike, Mike and Mike are on the, uh, on the same page here and on the right page. So sorry about that one, Stephen A. But, you know, the, the, uh, my time at St. Joe's was amazing. Uh, just being able to be part of a program like that under the leadership of such a great head coach like coach Martelli, just a great person, but more even above and beyond him as a coach. Uh, so getting to learn from him every day, being part of a program like that, going to NCAA tournaments, being in the top 25 every year, playing with great players that ended up going on to the NBA, just how I grew as a player, getting better every day, practicing against guys like that, uh, get, just growing as a person, you know, going through all the experiences that we had there. And then just, you know, the greatest time of your life, you know, things that uh, that I'll never forget, but uh, it certainly helped shape me as a, as a person and, uh, you know, planted the basketball bug to, uh, you know, I thought about coaching before that, but it really kind of came to fruition in my time there at St. Joe's. Yeah. And Mike, while you, uh, while you missed out by a year on, on that elite eight run, uh, you know, for, for St. Joe's, you were there for two 
NCAA tournament appearances, uh, you know, obviously regular uh, season A-10 champion seasons. Uh, you know, what was it like experiencing that success, uh, you know, as a student athlete and kind of, like you said, starting to think about being a coach? You know, how, how did that, you know, kind of further you there? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. You know, there was not a lot of expected of us uh, my sophomore year when I actually I made the team in tryouts uh, fall of my sophomore year. Uh, I was a member of the JV program at St. Joe's my freshman year. Uh, it was just an opportunity to kind of keep playing and then was lucky enough to make it to the team as a sophomore. So, again, not much expected. And with the arrival of Jameer Nelson, uh, along with some other good uh, older players, we kind of blew up that year, had a great run, uh, beat George Tech in the first round of the NCAA tournament and lost to Stanford in an unbelievable second-round game. Uh, and a lot was expected of us the next year with everybody back. Unfortunately, we didn't have a great year that year. Uh, but then, you know, our senior year, kind of same thing. The expectations were a little bit lower. A bunch of guys had graduated. And then, uh, you know, we ended up having another great year, Atlantic 10 champions and making the NCAA tournament. So um, it, it was it's amazing, you know, just to be able to go, go through and being part of a winning program like that. I think that's helped me a lot in my coaching experiences as you've seen stuff done at a high level. You understand what it takes to win. And on a day-to-day basis, you know, that's just the habits, you know, people on the outside might say, oh, they're a winning program, but you don't really see the day-to-day on what it takes to, to build it and to get there. And that was what I was really able to experience there. Yeah. And Mike, you know, I'll say when, when the, the college basketball fan thinks of, you know, that era and you say St. Joe's, they think of Jameer Nelson, they think of Delonte West, obviously two of the, the great players uh, in that program history. And, you know, at that time as well in the game, you know, tell us, kind of what it was like to see them grow into the superstars that they actually, you know, became, you know, and, you know, pros, that sort of thing, and leading a, a program like St. Joe's to the Elite Eight eventually. Yeah, and it's, it's remarkable because it's two completely different stories. You know, a lot of people knew Jameer coming in and knew he was going to have an impact, and, you know, he was a starter from day one and just an unbelievable player. And from the first day that I was there at practice, I said, whoa, this kid is good. <laughs> you know, and I was growing up uh, in New York, and I was familiar with a lot of point guards up here. There was actually a great trio of New York City guards uh, that year, Omar Cook, uh, Andre Barrett, Talib Brown, who all went to the kind of local schools up here and had bigger reps. But Jameer came in from day one, had an unbelievable impact, and was really the rock behind why that team was really good. He made everybody else better. Uh, from going to having 14-9-9 in the second round of the NCAA tournament against Stanford, uh, you, you knew right away that he was special, not just as a player, but as a person and as a leader. And then Delonte was the other way. You know, he, he was didn't really have a, uh, a ton of expectations coming in, really had a great senior year down at Eleanor Roosevelt in the, uh, in the DMV area. Uh, so came in with a little bit of a rep, but his freshman year didn't play a whole lot. You know, he came off the bench, he averaged about five points per game. And then I've never seen a player work harder than Delonte West did from his freshman to his sophomore year. He went from scoring five points per game to about 18 points per game. Uh, he made, you know, only a handful of threes as a freshman. He made 40% of his threes as a sophomore uh, and obviously got us back to the NCAA tournament and put himself on the NBA radar. So the way that those two grew were, were a little bit different in how they got to those places. Uh, but it was it was awesome just to see that develop on, on a day-to-day basis with those guys. Mike, uh, obviously people like view the Gonzagas of the world as the kind of the poster child for that program outside the power five that makes it big and stays big. Uh, do you, as somebody who's deeply involved with that program and alum, is St. Joe's really the, maybe the originator of that kind of, that pro type of program? And it's funny, Stephen, because we were kind of coming along at the same time as Gonzaga. Uh, we actually played them back-to-back -back years, New Year's Eve, my junior year at our place, 
and uh, Dan Dickow made a three to, to beat us by three with about two or three seconds left. And then the next year we went out and won at Gonzaga at the kennel, which was maybe the craziest college basketball environment I've ever been in. Uh, so yeah, we kind of did have that, that, that trajectory uh, along with them. Obviously the success that they've had and uh, has been remarkable and, and consistently remarkable uh, for what they've done. But yeah, it was awesome. You know, I think what that St. Joe's era became Stephen, was the way that you see a lot of teams playing now with four guards, uh, you know, uh, Hofstra favorite, uh, Jay Wright, you know, gets credited a lot with it and playing four guards and what he did at Villanova. But St. Joe's was doing that the couple of years before, you know, they were doing it in 2003, 2004 when they had all that success. So, you know, the way you see college basketball today was being spread out and shooting a lot of threes and playing more guards the way that we play here at Hofstra today, St. Joe's is really a major originator of that. And, uh, obviously, uh, there's personal parts of the, your time at St. Joe's. Uh, we'll touch on that here for a second. Uh, Phil Martelli Jr. was a teammate of yours and obviously has become a, a, a very close friend of yours as well. He was the best man at your wedding. Uh, how, you know, talk about, uh, I, I guess he was your best friend on that team, being best friend with the coach's son, uh, the dynamics of, you know, you two were obviously uh, the players that were not getting uh, the majority of the playing time as uh, walk-ons and such. Uh, can you talk about that relationship and kind of the dynamics of that? Well, I thought it would help me get, get some more playing time if I buddied up with him, but that, that sure didn't work. So, uh, no, you know, it was unbelievable. He's just such a great person, a lot better person than he is a player because he stunk as a player. Um, that was that was the one matchup that I loved in, in college. You know, when I got matched up with Jameer or Delonte, I said, this is going to be a long day. But when I was matched up with Phil, it was like, oh, yeah, here we go. And it's time, time to go score now. Time to go get a bucket. Um but uh, no, you know, he's, he's a great person. Obviously, you know, me and him have been on a similar path here in college basketball. So we've just grown closer and closer. Uh, the Martelli family to me, they are family, you know, um, his brother, Jimmy, his sister, Elizabeth, they're my brother and sister too. You know, it's, uh, I'm as close with them as I am with my own family. So it's an amazing relationship. One beautiful Phil Martelli story, Phil Martelli Jr. story. So we're playing at Dayton. Uh, I think it was our junior year. We were up by about 15 and, Somebody's going, Jameer goes to the foul line and there's 10 seconds left in the game. You know, we're not going to get the ball, but he wants to, Coach Marcelli wants to take some of the good players out, the seniors, whatever. So he says, Mike, Phil, you know, gives us the hook. So we sprint and do rip off the warm up. We sprint in there, you know, we get to the table and Phillip says, hey, why don't you go in for Marvin? I'll wait here and I'll go in for Jameer. So I said, okay, cool. I have the first foul shot. I go in for Marvin, high five. He goes off, gets the, you know, everybody's excited, good road win. Jameer misses the second foul shot. So Phillip never gets in the game. Uh, so we go back on defense. I don't even know if Dayton took a shot or not. It wasn't even a possession, all this sort of stuff. So I think about it after the game and I said, hey, you just did that because you wanted to hurt my scoring average. That's You, you, you knew we weren't going to get a shot here. You just wanted us, oh, well, now, you know, my average is 0.3 and yours is 0.2. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a better player. So I'll always, uh, you know, that's something I'll never forget about that kid. Just super selfish, uh, you know, in, in terms of statistics and, and all that stuff. Um, no, but <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, my, my best friend in the world and, and uh, truly a relationship that I, uh, I savor in my life. Yeah, we'll be sure to uh, tag him when we uh, post this podcast. Uh, speaking of scoring averages and career scoring totals, uh, we know you like to brag about your uh, what you and Jameer combined to score. Can you tell the listening audience how many points you and Jameer Nelson combined to score? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Jameer and I combined in our careers for 2,107 points. 
Uh, I'm not going to tell the listeners who had 2,100 and who had seven. Um, but you know, that's why one played in the NBA for 15 years and one's been, one's been coaching for about 15 years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll close the, uh, St. Joe's, uh, conversation. Obviously, uh, Delonte West has been in the news a lot lately, uh, a former teammate of yours and somebody who's, you know, who's struggled since his, uh, NBA career has ended. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on what Delonte is going to and, is, uh, Kind of, you know, as you watch the people like Mark Cuban step up to help him, you know, how how heartwarming is that? Somebody who's, you know, kind of close to the situation. Yeah, no, to be honest with you, Stephen, it's, it's amazing. And and I actually sent Mark Cuban a message this morning. Uh, I got a way to get in touch with him and, and send him a message for everything that he's uh, doing for Delonte. It's uh, it's pretty special. It's good to know that there's good people out there in the world uh, like that. So, you know, Delonte's always had his struggles back from, uh, you know, in college. And, you know, he's had ups and downs. And, you know, his teammates and friends and family have been there, you know, throughout those. And we've seen him at his highest of highs and lowest of lows. And, you know, there's just been times where he's needed help. And thankfully, you know, this time he's accepting of that help and getting the help that he needs. And, you know, I just stay, stay in my prayers that he does continue to get that help and support. Um, he's an unbelievable person, was an unbelievable teammate, the hardest worker that, you know, a, a lot of my work ethic I tried to take off of him. You know, I saw the way that he, he would get in the gym and work and, the, the competitor that he was just amazing. Um, something I, I hold near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, so I, I certainly hope that he gets that help that he needs, gets better and uh, gets back on his feet completely. Well said. So Mike, you were a, a finance major at St. Joe's. So I'm not sure many people know this, but you didn't go right into coaching out of college. You for two or three years uh, started your career out as a financial advisor. Yes. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, that jump from, you know, you, you think you want to be a college coach to, you know, let me take on this role. And then at what point did, uh, you know, the college coaching and the coaching bug bite you, you know, to where, all right, great. I have to try to give this a chance, uh, you know, and try to make this career jump. So I think it, it just kind of, you know, uh, the mentality of my family and my parents growing up was like, Hey, you know, you go to college, you get a job, you go work that job, you know, this, and it was kind of like just that linear path. So I actually had a bunch of job offers early in my senior year of college. Um, and, you know, accepted one with American express financial advisors. I probably had the job by October. I kind of wanted it over before my senior season. So I had that job. I wasn't going to start till the next summer, but, uh, and I was excited about, it. you know, the finance, the sales, building up a business, all that sort of stuff was, uh, was something I was looking forward to. I had worked the job for probably two or three months and, you know, going back to St. Joe's, uh, you know, cause I was, I was lived with one of the guys on the team. I was still around the program a lot. Coach Martelli had said, Hey, would you want to coach the JV basketball team? And I said, well, coach, I'm kind of working crazy hours. Like I work nine to nine every day. I work on Saturdays. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can, he said, well, Mike, you can structure it however you want to. You want to practice at 10 o'clock at night. You want to play five games. You want to play 25 games, you know, you can do it however you'd like to, but you'll get to be the head coach and run the program. So I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And I kind of always had had in my head that I would love to build up the financial planning business and then go become a high school coach. That was kind of what I had in my head, uh, you know, going into it a little bit. And then this opportunity came by and I was uh, obviously not making a penny and coaching till midnight every night and, uh, you know, waking up to go be a financial advisor. But it was amazing. Uh, you know, and I was a head coach at 22 years old, which was an unbelievable experience. I think Mike, after a, probably into, into my second season of doing that. And then, you know, a year and a half as being a financial advisor, I really got the bug. Uh, and 
my best friend, Phil Martelli Jr., was coaching at Central Connecticut State at that point. So I kind of saw him doing it and chasing his dream. And I kind of said, yeah, you know what? That's really what I'd like to do. So uh, it took me another year and a half there to put myself in position to, to get a coaching job in college. I coached more AAU. I was doing the JV. I was helping out with some film and video work with the St. Joe's team. Um, but, you know, kind of helped me build and get to that point. Uh, but, yeah, I was working 60, 65 hours a week as a financial advisor for those uh, those first three years. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I kind of realized as I was doing that I, I like this, you know, but it was a job and I love basketball and wanted to, to pursue that. So like you just said, then, you know, in 2006, you get your first uh, college coaching job at Wilkes University in Pennsylvania. So tell us how you got the job and about your year uh, at Wilkes. Uh, it, it, everything kind of comes back to Coach Martelli, right? But <laughs> but he got an email one day from the head coach at Wilkes uh, just saying, hey, I have an assistant. His assistant had actually just gotten a job at Ryder. So he sent out this email to Division One coach in the area. Hey, you know anybody? You know, uh, let me know. Coach, I'll never forget. He printed it out and he wrote Mike on the top and circled it and he handed it to me the next time I was in the gym and saw me. He said, this is the job. This is the one we got to get you. Um, so I said, okay, sure, let's do it. So he called up there. Uh, I was working a bunch of camps and, and doing a bunch of events with the hoop group and coaching AAU stuff. So, I, you know, I was running around trying to figure out a way to get involved in college basketball. And Coach Martelli made the call. I went up there for an interview a couple weeks later uh, and ended up getting the job. So I was the director of intramurals and assistant basketball coach. Thankfully, intramurals was about five or eight hours a week, and I was able to coach basketball the rest of the time. Uh, but it made it for a full-time job. So I was, uh, you know, lucky enough. It, it's really hard to get a full-time job coaching college basketball, and I was able to do it, you know, at whatever it was, 26 years old, a couple of years in. So I was very lucky to do that. So it was the opportunity, uh, you know, from Coach Rick Road at Wilkes, and obviously being able to be aided by uh, Coach Martelli's recommendation. Yeah, it kind of got the ball rolling on your career, per se. Uh, and then you kind of made an interesting move. You stepped out of college coaching and worked at uh, the Hoop Group as a director there for the next three years. Uh, I, I guess really the question here is, like, what made you say, you know, at this point you're, you made a career decision to go into coaching, but then you kind of left college basketball to, to, to elevate that career. What made you make that move? That was all, Stephen, based on the desire to be a Division One coach. Uh, you know, the track record of the guys that had worked at Hoop Group was at a really, really high level. It was Jimmy Carr, who had, co who had worked at Hoop Group and was coaching at Rutgers, and Mike Rice, who had went on to be, become a, an assistant at St. Joe's and Pitt, and then obviously head coach at Robert Morris and Rutgers, and Chucky Martin, and all the guys that came before me, Andy Toole. There was just such a long line of Hoop Group uh, employees and, and directors that had gone on to coaching division one. So I said, you know what, going the division three route, I might be able to get there, but I thought the hoop group would be a good way to put me on the fast track to get to the division one level. Uh, you know, again, based on just the track record of everyone that had done it, uh, Rob Kennedy's an unbelievable mentor. He's the president uh, of the hoop group and put me on a path for, for the rest of my career, uh, for which I'm, I'm extremely grateful. Uh, for the listeners, can you kind of explain the, uh... Uh, kind of what the hoop group is and kind of what it entails and what you kind of did there. Yes. I was the director of Eastern Invitational basketball camp now known as hoop group elite, uh, which is basically the biggest exposure basketball camp up and down the East coast. You know, there've been a lot of companies 
uh, running camps and tournaments, you know, for the last 20 years or so, but kind of in the time that I was there a little bit before me and then leading up and obviously still till today, the hoop groups become the biggest uh, grassroots basketball organization on the East coast. So I was in charge of running all of their camps and exposure events. Uh, you know, so I was recruiting campers from all over the world, but you know, mostly up and down the East coast. So I was really making great ties from, you know, the Hampton, Virginia area, all the way up to New England uh, and running events all over the place, getting to meet people, players, high school coaches, AAU coaches, parents, et cetera. So it kind of put me on the fast track towards building the connections you need to be a good recruiter at the division one level. Mike, uh, during this time at the hoop group, you, I think we said some, you recruited some thousand players for Hoop Group yep. Elite during this time. Uh, so obviously got to see a ton of players play, um, you know, from 2007 to 2010. Who was the best player you saw? The best player that we had at camp was Kyrie Irving. Uh, Kyrie came multiple times to camp. He actually came the first time uh, before his junior year, right, as he was transferring into St. Patrick's. And he was still a little bit under the radar. People didn't quite know him uh, to that level. Uh, he was the most outstanding prospect at that camp. <laughs> And then kind of the rest of that summer blew into the national profile. He actually ended up coming back to camp the next summer when everybody in the world was chasing him. Uh, obviously, he ended up committing to Duke, but, you know, all the biggest schools in the country were there to see him. So it was really cool to kind of see his progression from, you know, a high school sophomore that only a handful of people knew about to, you know, one of the best players in the world. So then in 2010, you uh, you leave the hoop group and it, it kind of worked out for what you were looking for because you started your division one coaching career then at Mount St. Mary's. Yes. So, so I've been there three years. Yeah. So I was there for three years, Mike, you know, typically guys were at the hoop group two to three years and you kind of get the itch. And uh, thankfully there was an opportunity that year. Uh, Robert Burke was the head coach. He had been a, an assistant at Princeton and Georgetown and American and kind of all over the place. So he got his first opportunity to be a division one head coach. And then through a connection with Rob Kennedy, uh, I was able to get on staff there with him. So Spent my first year uh, Division One coaching in uh, tiny Emmitsburg, Maryland, but uh, but it, but it was an awesome year and, and certainly a great transition to be uh, you know achieving my goal at that point, which was to become a Division One assistant. And and at that stop that year, what did you learn about coaching Division One uh, in that one you know kind of in that one year stop that you've kind of carried along your whole that life? was that was a very interesting year. You know, we had two guys get hurt in the preseason that we thought one was definitely going to be a starter, the other one had a chance to be starter. Both were injured and out for the year. So we had issues that way. Uh, you know, we actually had a real, relatively young and inexperienced team. And, you know, just doing the different things. That, that you, we played at Dayton in our first game. We played at Cincinnati, uh, you know, against a bunch of guys that ended up playing in the NBA. And we were tied with a minute to go. Uh, you know, just the ups and downs of, of a season and, and trying to compete and build a program. Uh, it's a wonderful place, Mount St. Mary's. It's a different place. Uh, it's, it's out there a little bit. Uh, not not quite the, the city uh, atmosphere that we're, we're used to here at Hofstra. But, uh it, it, but it's a wonderful place, a, a great, great life experience. I was with some really good people, met some really good people there uh, that year and uh, and learned a lot. You really learned what the day-to-day -day of, of coaching Division One was. And it's not just all, hey, let's go to practice and uh, coach some games and drop some plays. It's a, it's a whole lot more than that. So, Mike, uh, at that point, uh, you got your Division One career underway. You're, you're, you're rolling. Uh, you know, so at this point, at Niagara is the next stop in your career. And obviously the head coach in Niagara at this point is Coach Mihalik. Did you have a relationship with Coach prior to this? Uh, or was it kind of just a resume sending for an opening he had? Kind of break, walk us through the uh, the building of the relationship between you and Coach Mihalik here. 
So, so again, this comes back to the Martelli family. Uh, Phil Martelli Jr. was an assistant up at Niagara for five years uh, with coach. So I mean, him being my best friend, I had gone up there several times. They actually played in a tournament that we ran at Hoop Group. So coach, they'd always be recruiting in our events. So I really got to know coach pretty well during that time. And I'll never forget, uh, we were, I was at the mound and Philip had just left to go to Delaware and we were recruiting in King of Prussia. Uh, and I remember we were all sitting there and coach Mahalik said to me, he said, Hey coach, would you mind, uh, I need to talk to coach Martelli about something private here. And I said, yeah, sure. Of course. And, you know, I go down to the other set of features and I saw Philip about a half hour later and he said, Hey, uh, he's got an opening on staff and he wants to hire you. Uh, that's what that conversation was about. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all geared up and ready to go to Mount St. Mary's back for year two. We were going to be a little bit better that year. Uh, we had brought in some really good transfers, so I had that program trending in the right direction. But an opportunity to work for somebody like Coach Mihalik, uh, obviously at a place like Niagara where he had so much success and somebody I respected so much, I kind of said, well, that's something I, got, I have to explore. So that was in mid-July. Uh, we ended up connecting soon after that. I actually had my interview uh, in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is a big recruiting uh, tournament time. So I believe it was July 22nd. We had met and, and coach kind of said, hey, when do you have an open game slot? I said, I don't have a game really at five o'clock. He said, okay, meet, meet me here. We'll, uh, we'll grab a bite to eat and we'll talk. So we sat there and talked for an hour or so and it was great. Um, and that was kind of my interview right there. I, I, I thought about it for the next couple of days, you know, pros and cons. And my wife, actually, my, this, my saint of a wife, had actually just moved from Philadelphia to Maryland. We were actually set to move on August 10th. We had just gotten married in May. She had gotten a job down in Maryland that she liked in the insurance business. And so we were all kind of set up. And I was like, huh, what am I going to do? How am I going to tell her this, that she was ready to move to Maryland and now we might be moving to Niagara Falls. So, uh, but anyway, after thinking about it for a couple of days, I realized that this was the best opportunity for me. And uh, I let my boss to Mount St. Mary's know a couple of days later. And I started up in Niagara uh, at some point the first couple of weeks of August. Yeah, I was going to say, I, just from the timeline of knowing you for the eight years, I was going to say, this has to be around the Gina, start of the Gina era of your life. So, uh, that's interesting that it, they literally went hand in hand, actually. Um, but uh, so, again, you spent two years at Niagara. Um, uh, and obviously, we all know the uh, success that Coach had up there. Uh, what was it like coaching up there? Uh, did, did you know how cold the winters were? <laughs> no, 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 I did not. A lot of snow. And you don't even realize how far north Niagara Falls is until you, you have to drive under the bridge to Canada from your way from Niagara to your house, to your apartment. Uh, and that's what I did every day to, uh, as my commute, it was only like a five minute commute, but I literally drove under the bridge to Canada. So, uh, you're up there. Uh, no, but it's amazing. It, it, it's a wonderful place. Uh, coach had obviously built such a great culture up there. Wonderful people, very, very cold, uh, but a wonderful place to go to school and a great Catholic environment. Uh, it, so it was great, great couple of years up there. We had, they, they had done a really good job recruiting and brought in Wanya Green and Mean Tanksley. And then, uh, you know, so they had struggled the year before. I've heard of better. those guys. What's that? I've heard you've of heard those guys. Them. Yeah, you've heard of them. Yeah, exactly. We've had, uh, we've had some experiences with them. So, you know, I, I was there for their freshman year up there. I had actually known both of them very well from when they were coming to hoop group events. You know, they were coming to camps. So I actually talked to Amin Tanksley as much as I talked to any recruit. Uh, you know, we had great relationships yeah. going up there was great that I knew those guys already, uh, you know, going through their freshman year, we were one of the youngest teams in the country. And then obviously in our second year up there, we won the MAC regular season championship, aided by another recruiting class, including Tajir McCall, who went up, you know, he's actually still in the G League, Philadelphia kid at one of the radar, and TJ Klein, who was completely under the radar, coming out of Plano, Texas, went on to be on the Atlantic 10 player of the year. So those guys were freshmen on that team. 
we were uh, we were really good. Uh, had an unfortunate injury in the semifinals of the conference tournament against Iona, but had a great year. And everybody, all of our main players were freshmen and sophomores, so we were going to have a bright couple of years coming up there. And then, Mike, in 2013, uh, you make your way to Hofstra, and, and that's where we start. You know this this great run. Um, so, kind of tell us what it's like to you know be part of a coaching staff change. You know, kind of going from one school to another with a head coach and you know, with some of the staff members who you know, um, and also kind of what did you know about Hofstra? You know, what were, what were kind of some of your, your thoughts going into it? It's funny. I actually, you know, despite growing up in Rockland County, about an hour away from here, I didn't know a ton about Hofstra. Uh, I had come out here for Jess training camp once or twice, uh, but that was really the only times I had been out here. So hard to hear uh, that. <laughs> um, and, you know, you just don't realize what a hidden gem it is out here at Hofstra. And, and you know, we kind of say it to, to all of our recruits, you know, we kind of say, you know, until you get here on campus, you don't realize how beautiful it is, what a great place it is here. And I, and I certainly didn't grow growing up an hour away. So we were lucky that we were able to come uh, as a staff. You know, Coach Mahalik brought the whole staff, which included Kyle Neptune, who's now a top assistant at Villanova. They've had a decent couple of years. Uh, Shane Nichols, who is the top assistant at Murray State, who's also had a couple of decent years. Uh, and obviously Colin Curtin, uh, who's, who's still here with us at Hofstra today. So it was awesome to be able to come together knowing what our roles were, what our strengths and weaknesses were, what we could add to a program, and what we needed to do together to build this thing up. Uh, the unfortunate thing was having four players on the team at the time. Well, maybe the fortunate and unfortunate, because we got to build the program how we wanted to. Um, you know, what we had, there was not a whole lot left here. So uh, we had to build it up quickly, uh, which we were able to do. Um, but yeah, it was certainly very, very helpful that we had the staff coming together because we knew each other so well and we knew what we needed to look for in recruiting and the types of players that we wanted to bring in. So Mike, you guys start um, that, and obviously uh, we all know that first year team so well. Um, and I know me and coach, and I think I even talked to you about it. It's like the best 10 win team in college basketball history that, <laughs> That team was in every game, won 10 of them, had no business in other ones and won or were close to winning them. Uh, what, what, what do you remember about that first year and kind of how, you know, how special a season like that can be, even in spite of the win-loss record? Yeah, it was it was an amazing time. Um, and practices were amazing because we had Wanya Green and Amin Tankstein and Brian Bernardi all sitting out as transfers. So we, we knew it was coming. We, we knew that we were building this up and that by year two we were going to have a chance to, to be really good. Year one was a struggle, uh, and, and we kind of looked up at these teams, and, and like you said, Stephen, there'd be so many games where it'd be the under-eight timeout, and we'd be tied with Delaware, who won the conference uh, that year, and you'd say, how is this game tied right now? Look at their players, and look look who we have, or who we're trotting out there, but um, the guys did an unbelievable job, and, and certainly led by Dion Nesmith and Zeke Upshaw, the two guys that really helped turn this program around so quickly. They were really, really good players, both had all conference seasons that year, but more importantly, the types of people that they were uh, to help turn this program around. So it was an unbelievable experience being with those guys every day uh, was great. They, they fought tooth and nail. They did everything that they could. And as coaching, you just, we tried to figure out everything. We played, you know, nine different defenses and we tried 18 different offenses and tried to do anything you could to, to compete and to win. And we did a great job competing. You know, like you said, Stephen, there were so many games that were close. We fell short because we probably just didn't have enough depth. But a great learning experience uh, and just a, a, a privilege to be around guys like Dion and Zeke. Though that's why you get in coaching, you know, is to, to be around guys like that. And uh, real quick, on the follow-up in that year, obviously you talk about Dion and Zeke so much. And I don't know, like, how great we all think of and uh, the, 
the memory of Zeke. Uh, when did you guys know what you had in Zeke Upshaw? Did you know when you guys got him to transfer here that he could do what he ended up doing in that one season? Or was it kind of like, holy cow? We did not have a clue. <laughs> Zeke scored 100 total points at, at Illinois State. So we didn't really know what we were getting. We know we had pretty good size. You know, we could play a couple of different positions, but we really had no idea. And, you know, then when we started playing, we kind of knew, all right, well, this kind of has to be our guy. You know, we've, we've been lucky enough to almost always have one guy that can really, really score the ball. And Zeke was kind of thrown into that position, whether he was ready for it or not, and ended up having an unbelievable year. And I think of the game, Stephen, down at Richmond uh, that we lost real late, and, and Zeke was just absurd. By, by far the best player on the court that night. And uh, it was really special just what he was able to do that year, going from a place where when he was done at Illinois State, he had graduated and didn't know if he wanted to play basketball anymore. And had came here, had an unbelievable year, and actually led to pro opportunities overseas and in the G League for a while. So, um, no, to the long story short, no, we had no idea. And Zeke really just seized his opportunity. It's an unbelievable – it's a classic case of, of having an opportunity, seizing it, and, and doing everything that you can with it. And, Mike, you know, you talked about what you had also waiting in the wings, uh, you know, after, during that first year. Could you tell that you were starting to build – a team and the foundation of a team who, you know, could regularly compete at the top of the CAA year in and year out? I definitely think so, Mike. With those guys, especially with Ron Yen and me, knowing our culture, our expectations, what, what we expect in terms of guys' work ethic and how to play, those two guys did an amazing job uh, with helping to lay that foundation. Obviously getting Dion back for a sixth year helped with that. Um, you know, and then recruit, and now, and actually, Brian Bernardi, no one had a better work ethic than him. So we really knew we had a chance to compete uh, right away. Would we be able to win a championship? Maybe we didn't know, but but we kind of knew we had the types of players and the level of player that was going to be able to compete, and, and that we needed to compete for championships in this league. And Mike, at what point then, over this time, did you realize that you had a team who could arguably be one of the best teams? over the past five years in the CAA? Uh, that when Wanye and them were seniors? No, just over this this past five years. Oh, just, oh, just overall, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what, it, it's, it's a constant process, Mike, right? It, it's, uh, you can't do it with one recruiting class or one or two players. You know, it's got to be a consistent effort and a constant effort uh, to, to continue to build it. You know, it doesn't just, okay, Wanye Green and Amin, and they graduate, you know, you got to find the next Elijah Pemberton and Justin Wright Foreman to Jordan Bowie and guys like that. So you got to keep building it, but... Thankfully, with those first groups, uh, you know, what Dion and Zeke were able to do and then followed up that next year when Wanye Amin and Brian became eligible, you, you saw the glimpses, you knew what this program could become, and then that certainly became a lot more enticing to recruits, uh, you know, a lot more known. Uh, our style of play was known, which obviously was, was uh, enticing to recruits as well. So that was, uh, that was big. Um, and then obviously being able to take that jump in year three here to winning the regular season – uh, making it to the championship game. That's when we kind of felt like, yeah, you know what, we can we can have this program contend on a, on a year-in, year-out basis. And, and contend on a year-in and year-out basis is what the Hofstra basketball program is all about. You know, three uh, championship game appearances, and obviously last season is the pinnacle of that run, and uh, obviously you guys hope to continue it in the future. But let, let, let's talk about the 2019-20 season. Um, kind of, well, I guess the simple question to start at what point uh, building up did you realize that – I think you knew the team was going to be really good. When did you know the team was going to be special? 
Oh, that's a really good question, Stephen. Um, I, I mean, I guess the easy answer to say without being able to pinpoint maybe a specific practice is at UCLA. Uh, when you win that game and you go to Poly Pavilion. You're, gonna, you're, ruin, you're ruining some questions here. I'm ruining some questions. Okay, so you want me to say something before that. Okay, well, no, no, me, no, it's fine. Let me go back in time then. I, obviously, coming off of the way that we lost the year before in the championship game to Northeastern, uh, and going back to the 2019 year, us and Northeastern were the two best teams all along. They were a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I think they were probably a little bit better than us overall during that year. We had the best player. We had a special, special player, Justin Wright Foreman. Uh, but, you know, they were real. Obviously, they're always really well coached, and, and Coach Cohen does a great job. But we were really good, and, and I think that really left a taste in the mouth with the guys that were coming back, with DeJour, Elijah, Jalen, Tariq, all those guys. Isaac was sitting out. But that certainly laid the groundwork and became the rallying call for, like, hey, we, we tasted this. We were, we were right there. Uh, so let's make sure we don't feel this way again in that locker room after after the championship game next year. So now now let's talk about the UCLA game. Uh, a few questions surrounding that, but you kind of just started to touch on it. Uh, I guess first question before we get into the questions we had, what, what was it about that game that I guess uh, gave you the belief that the team was special? Just some of the performances that guys had that night. You know, the moment wasn't too big. You know, you say DeJour Bowie and, and, and DeJour had, you know, ups and downs throughout his career, a solid freshman year, tears his ACL, you know, some ups and downs recovering from that before kind of seizing that position, had a nice junior year. Uh, but, you know, we didn't know if he was going to take a leap, take a step. And, you know, just what he was able to do at UCLA, that performance, the way he managed and controlled the game in conjunction with Jalen Ray, his backcourt mate, who again was, you know, a backup and we lost Justin Wright Foreman and everybody's talking, oh, you lost an NBA draft pick. And then for Jalen to go out and play the way that he did that night, you kind of said, wow, you know what, we, we, we have it. We, we have what we need. Now, so you know what Elijah Pemberton was. And the other thing about that, Stephen, too, was it wasn't like we were winning the whole game. You know, we were down. We, we, we fought uh, in the first half. We weren't playing great. We just kind of stuck with it. And, you know, we made more shots. We stepped up defensively. We rebounded a little bit better. But we had to fight that game. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy one. It wasn't that they just stunk. You know, we had to earn that victory. And, you know, the process that we had to, to take that night – uh, definitely gave you the, the idea of, of what this what year could look like. And I, I guess to talk about the win here, um, uh, for postseason aside, because obviously there's pinnacles of your coaching career that certainly rank above that, maybe postseason wise. But where where does that rank for you on a uh, on a personal scale in terms of victories? And then you know that that night, do you take us take our fans through that night for you, like. When you sat down, whether it was in your hotel room or wherever you were, grab a bite to eat, you know, what, what, what's going through your mind? Like, holy cow, what did we just do type of moment? So Colin Curtin had the scout, so I don't know if I was super confident headed to that game. But, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Colin had us unbelievably prepared, and he did. It, you know, it's a funny uh, – <laughs> a couple nights before that, uh, somehow I get Pac-12 network. Uh, and so UCLA was I, playing wait, – I have a question. Is a couple nights before this, is this – while we're in California during our no, I'm sorry, Steve. We're, we're, we're still in New York. This was maybe like Monday night of that week before we went out to California. And UCLA was playing, 
maybe Southern Utah or something. I forget. But uh, so Colin came over to watch the game live because for some reason I'm like the one person on the East Coast that gets the Pac-12 network. So we're watching the UCLA game live and we're throwing some ideas around, you know, and then by the time Colin watched the game again, you know, he probably stayed up till five o'clock in the morning, watched the game again and had him all had it all down and kind of said, hey, this is what they're going to do. This is, I think, how we have to attack it. So laid out a, a great game plan uh, for us to be able to win that game. So, you know, we were confident going in. Uh, you know, I think like, like we always are, no matter the game, uh, you know, we feel like our preparation is at a high level and that we'd be ready uh, as long as we can execute the game plan in, in the right way or make adjustments as needed. Um, and everything just kind of fell right, you know, and, and we did the right things that, that day and our, our defense was, uh, we threw them off enough to, uh, to give us a shot. When in that night, you know what, Stephen, I, I remember walking on the court uh, after a poly pavilion, just looking up at the scoreboard and saying, like, wow, we really did this, you know, and, and you're out over there hugging everybody. And, you know, it was uh, the locker room was an amazing moment. You know, some of those videos from, from that locker room afterwards are, are things you'll never forget. Um, just really, really great moments. Uh, you know, I, I think of that, I, I always try to almost um, – debrief and decompress after every game. You know, I feel like, you know, all the preparation that we do, I almost need a couple of minutes to, to recharge and take a deep breath. So I just remember sitting there in the front row at Pauly Pavilion looking up and just looking up all the jerseys and banners and thinking about what we just did. And it's, it's one of those those moments, one of those wins that you put up there with any win, any regular season win that, uh, that we've had, uh, that I've had in my career. And then that brings us to March 10th of this year. You know, another monumental win for our program uh what else in terms of your emotions and thoughts you know kind of went through you know what did you kind of go through uh as we win the CAA championship and you know qualify for the NCAA tournament like uh it's it, like even you start talking about it, I got I got like the tears coming in it's uh it was unbelievable you know because you, you think back to the seven years that we put in uh here and everything you did and the close calls with losing to Wilmington in overtime to losing to Northeastern the year before. And, you know, my mentality certainly going through the entire year was well, we got to do whatever we can to, to make sure we don't feel like that again. And I remember saying that to the guys of after we beat Delaware in the semifinals, I said, remember how you felt in that locker room afterwards and do whatever we need to do to make sure we don't feel that way tomorrow. Um, I didn't sleep much that night. I was not feeling great. I didn't sleep very much, uh, but I was watching Northeastern film. I've had that scout for the last couple of years. So I was up and, and trying to game plan and get ready for it. Uh, certainly an extremely stressful day uh, in conjunction with that, all the other COVID stuff that was really just kind of starting to come out in a, in a major way at that point. But, uh, and then, you know, I had the scout, so I'm locked in and I'm, I'm focused on that. And you're worried because our bus was late going through DC traffic and we didn't get to the gym till, you know, 5.55 for a seven o'clock game. Uh, and, you know, and, but, but we beat Northeastern there. Correct. And you were really worried about it until you realized that Northeastern was three buses behind us. So, uh, and they got even less time to warm up, but yeah, you know, you're going through that and trying to think, okay, what adjustments are they going to make to the zone? Obviously, like I already mentioned, coach Cohen's a great coach and, you know, you know, he's going to do some different stuff and you don't have time, time to adjust in that tournament type of atmosphere. Uh, you know, are guys going to be ready to play? Are they going to be worn out? You know, obviously we played the least bench minutes in the country last year. So, those guys are going to play major minutes every night. And we said, we're going to have enough gas for the third night. We've kind of felt like we, we ran out of gas a little bit on the third night uh, the year before against Northeastern in the first half and worried about that happening. But then other than that, you're just locked in and um, going through that whole game. I didn't really think about it, you know, halftime, super close game. And then we kind of, you know, take risk, grasp of the game towards the end of it. Um, but, you know, I didn't really realize it until, that last, they inbounded it, uh, Northeastern inbounded it. They had kind of taken their all, all their guys out. And Colin grabbed me and said, we did it. 
<laughs> and uh, just just an amazing moment. Um, I was still mad they scored in the last possession. I didn't want to let them score 60 points. I wanted to keep them in the 50s. But Jason Strong made a foul line jumper with like five seconds to go, which made me upset. But anyway, um, at, you know, and then after that, you're just, you know, you got your family behind you and, and Hofstra Nation and, and knowing what that moment, you know, and DeJour's coming off the court and Elijah's coming off the court. And you're hugging those guys and what that moment meant for this program, for this university after, you know, 19 years of, of not making it there. Um, and then just the celebration afterwards and being on the court and sharing those moments with Colin, with Speedy, with all the players, the coach, my wife, um, just, just amazing. You know, and then you think about everything else that we dealt with last year and at least we got to experience that. So Mike, uh, I, is there a moment uh, either leading up that kind of resonates with you looking back that you kind of felt really good about that night? I, for me, uh, I, this might sound quirky or odd, like that interview with, Eli on CBS Sports after the semifinal win, I was like, "Oh, we're we're good, we're golden tomorrow." This this man is locked in, and that was kind of a moment for me. I was like, you know, I was obviously nervous, but what about you as a coach? Was there a moment for you that you saw something in your team that said that we're good? Uh, probably when the scoreboard had triple zeros on it. I uh, <laughs> no, I was nervous, man, especially with the scout. I was, you know, I'm. Uh, I'm trying to go over every detail and every play and, and, and every adjustment that we might need to make. So, no, I, I never really had that moment, Steve. I know you typically have them before I do with, uh, with feeling good about things. You know, I uh, feel like a, it's a coach's job just to be nervous about everything. So that was – no, I didn't really have that moment. Certainly when we made the plays at the end, um, you know, because you were making those couple shots, Jalen, all those plays that we made, you know, you kind of felt good about it. But, uh, you know, not, not till the very end. Uh, so, unfortunately, I did not – I did not have that moment. I, I felt, I felt good. I felt confident, uh, you know, but you're still worried. Are we going to have enough energy? Are we going to run out of gas or, you know, all this stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I was kind of too wrapped up in the moment to, to, to realize uh, that we, that we were in a good place. Okay. Real quick. Where's your uh, piece of net? My piece of net uh, is in a display at home. Uh, my wife saw yours, Stephen A., and uh, she ended oh. up doing the same exact thing that, that you did. So she keeps wondering, you know, where should we hang this? Where do we hang this? You know, all that stuff. So I, I don't know. I haven't hung it up yet. It's on my uh, on the floor of my uh, my bedroom. It was right so there fun. next to me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, I, I got to find a good place to hang it. But it was good to have it during during the time of quarantine and working from home that I knew it was always next to me in my uh, my makeshift office, a.k.a. the bedroom. So uh, it was uh, – yeah, I got I to gotta find a good place for it, though. I will say, Steve, this is something that, you know, most people don't know. Steven is – incredibly good at keeping keepsakes from different sporting events and yeah. getting them framed and displaying them. Like you're, you're the best at it. Bye oh, far. thanks Mike. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And and then he'll drop, you know, a, a photo of the one day like, Oh, this happened 12 years ago. You have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> so yeah, my piece in that was like still tied on my hat, uh, you know, from after the championship. Uh, so I didn't know what to do with it. Then uh, I guess my wife saw Steven's uh, display and she was like, okay, that's what we're doing. Yeah, it's really good. Okay. So, and Mike, this has been well documented, so we don't have to get into the whole thing. But, you know, as Steven likes to say, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding out that, you know, we're not going to be participating in the NCAA tournament. So that's, uh, as I said, been well documented. So why don't we just kind of talk about how you've been able and the staff has been able to, to kind of manage the last seven months as you prepare the team to defend uh, the title now as, you know, kind of looking for that, that repeat. 
Yeah, uh, you know, certainly very hard not not being with these guys. We're just we're with these guys so much. You know, there's typically only a couple of weeks at their home. You know, the end of May and June, and then they go home for a couple of weeks in August. So being away from these guys for for that long was just so so different. Obviously, and everybody's experiencing different stuff than we've ever done. So just trying to stay in touch with these guys as much as possible when they were able to get in gyms, help them get in gyms, and then you know just having that flexible mindset so we, since we've gotten back. Um, but, you know, the hunger's still there, you know, and, that, and that's just kind of the one thing. We had to chip on our shoulder the year before because we lost in the championship game and we were so close to achieving the dream. And this year we kind of have it because we did achieve it, but we didn't get to experience the the glory from it, I guess you could say, with, with actually playing in the tournament. So, you know, the guys that are coming back, led by Jalen, Isaac, and Tariq, kind of had that mindset of like, hey, we got we still have unfinished business here and we want, to, we want that full experience of playing in the NCAA tournament. And Mike, personally, it was really, it was a great summer uh, for you. Uh, you kind of got recognized for kind of what you're doing with the Hofstra program, uh, stadium and, uh, and uh, Jeff Goodman uh, named you one of the top assistants in the CAA. You were named one of the 50 impactful mid-major assistants by Silver Waves Media. Kind of, uh, obviously you're not in it uh, for the personal recognition a lot of the time, but uh, how good does it feel to see like, all the hard work you're putting in uh, get get noticed by people outside your own program. Yeah, it, it's it's very cool, Stephen. I, I I appreciate you, you bringing those things up. No, it's it's awesome, and you know you work so hard as an assistant. It's such an uncertain uh, business that you don't know, and you know obviously the goal of being a head coach, and you never know when that's going to come or a new job. And every April, you know, my, my wife always holds her breath and says, "Are we going to be looking for houses in a different you know neighborhood this year or things of that sort?" It's it's just you know it's always so hard. So to get some recognition, uh, but it's really just it's a recognition of the staff and the work that we've done here over the past seven years. You know, I don't get that recognition if Colin Curtin, Speedy Claxton, uh, and obviously under the, the leadership of Coach Mihalik aren't unbelievable what they do too you know it's, it's certainly not just stuff that, that I've done but just being a part of a great staff has, has helped that uh, to, to achieve some of those uh, those accolades and Mike we'll give you a minute here to, to talk about this this next piece of it we've all been uh, lucky enough to get to know your family especially on game day you know with Gina running around with the kids uh, you know kind of talk about their importance to uh, you know you and your career and, and supporting you yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Mike. Now, they're, uh, Gina's the rock. Uh, she runs everything in our world, you know, so it just lets me focus on this craziness uh, and being a, being a college basketball coach. Uh, she holds it together really well when, you know, there's uncertain times and, and things of like that. So she's amazing. And then obviously we've been blessed with two wonderful children, MJ, who's six, and Ryan, who's three. And just being able to have them here at games is super special. Uh, you know, being able to look up behind the bench and see them there. You know, one of my favorite memories last year was – one of the worst moments was we lost to William Mary by about a hundred here and guys were sick and we played terrible. It was just awful. And then we rebounded that next day, two days later and beat Elon by about a hundred. So, you know, worst game maybe we played all year. And then one of the better games we played all year and sure was amazing. And, and we went by, we might've won by 25 or 30. We blew them out. And after the game, I come out and uh, I'm talking to somebody and Ryan comes up and goes, daddy, daddy, daddy. I said, Hey Ryan, hold on a second. I'm just, I'm talking to somebody. He says, daddy, 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 did you win? 
And I'm like, you know, Ryan, there's thousands of people here. They all know that we won by a million. And he's just like happy running around because he got a chance to see me. You know, I said, yeah, we won. And he says, yeah, yeah. He starts jumping. He goes, runs on the court and goes to play with his friends. Uh, you know, he, 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 had, he was oblivious. He just thinks he's out there, you know, hanging out and having a good time and chasing his older brother around. So, um, no, but it's amazing having those guys around, uh, getting to experience some of these moments, having the team as, you know, big brothers and bringing them in a locker room after wins and things of that sort. It's uh it's an awesome way to, to be able to raise kids and, you know, the way that Justin, right, Foreman and DeJour and Elijah will get on FaceTime with these guys. And now like the newer guys like Elmo and David that they've already built relationships with. So it's being able to, uh, you know, and they miss a lot. You know, I'm not, I'm not around a lot. I'm traveling a lot. I'm recruiting a lot. I'm going a lot. So being able to have something special like that for them to experience to kind of make up for some of the times that, uh, that I'm not around uh, that, you know, a normal parent would, it, uh, it makes it all worth it. Well, Mike, you know, we, we ended with the most important question, uh, talking about your family. Now we get to go into the fun stuff. We're going to end the uh, podcast here with, uh, you know, about six just uh, quick, fun questions. Uh, don't think too long about these. Uh, yeah, are, are you ready to be grilled by uh, me and Mike Neely? I hope so. Uh, ready or not, here they come, right? Here we go. All right. Your uh, favorite professional sports team. Oof. They all stink, um, but, you know, I'm a New York fan, uh, you know, so, so Yankees, uh, I, unfortunately, I was a huge baseball fan growing up, not much of a baseball fan anymore. Uh, I like the Jets, uh, you know, so I watch a lot of Clemson games on Saturdays to watch Trevor Lawrence because that's the only hope that we have um, for that. And I'm a Knicks fan, so that's, uh, yeah, it's a, pretty rough times for, for my professional sports teams. What about your favorite moment as a player? Mm. favorite moment as a player probably this NCAA selection shows when we got selected to the NCAA tournament my sophomore year just to see your team name go up on that board uh, you know both those times so it was against Georgia Tech my sophomore year against Auburn my senior year sharing that moment with your teammates and obviously not the heart back on it but certainly one of the things that we missed you know with, with the NCAA tournament being canceled but that was a special special moment uh, your favorite moment as a coach I, this might be obvious yeah, that's an easy one. That's uh, it's cutting down those nets uh, on March 10th, uh, you know, experiencing that night. That that whole run, that whole team, that whole weekend, uh, all of that will be memories that all will be forever etched in my brain. Uh, we'll go out of order here for the next question since uh, you'll see why. Uh, what You spent some years in Philadelphia, Mike. Uh, what's the best cheesesteak in the city of Philadelphia? Ooh, ooh, I'm going to make people mad with this one. So, uh, I go with Del Sandro's. Uh, I think that's, that's, that would be my that's go-to. That's the correct answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but your, but your, uh, your colleague in the office, uh, next door, uh, I think would disagree. Oh, two doors down. Coach Claxton would disagree, wouldn't he? Yeah. He's got a lot finer taste than I do. If, you, if you've seen his Instagram, he's, uh, he, he, he <laughs> finer, uh, palate than I do. So I, I would go with his answer over mine. Uh, any idea what uh, Coach Curtin uh, thinks in that? Uh... I actually don't know. I think he's Del Sandro's too. Uh, and then uh, best shooter, uh, better shooter, you or Jalen Ray? Oh, I mean, it, it, like unless you put like Clay Thompson or Steph Curry in there against me, Stephen, it was uh, it's going to be me. So um, you know, I kind of consider myself up there with you know Steph. Ray Allen, Clay Thompson, like that's kind of the Jalen's really good. Jalen and Tariq are really good. 
you know, DeJour likes to say that he shot 42.5% for three last year, and that, he thought that was good. I said, yeah, I mean, that's that's okay for some people. Uh, you know, Justin Wright Foreman, all these guys like to talk trash, but I haven't. Uh, and I got some film to prove it for, for anybody that wants to see it from for practice of me making uh, making a whole lot of threes on uh, on, on some Hofstra defenders. Might be a pregame, uh, pregame video uh, breakdown one day. Absolutely. Um, Love that. And then, Mike, your favorite spot in Long Beach? Whew. Uh, just the boardwalk, Mike. Uh, man, I love it. Uh, we've lived, you know, half a mile away from the boardwalk in the East End my entire time there. We ended up buying a house uh, last summer. Uh, but, yeah, just going down there for runs, uh, walks, you know, bike rides with the kids, stuff like that is uh, it's amazing right there on the beach. It's uh, one of my happy places. Out here at the MAC, uh, in the arena, on the court, in the practice facility, and the, and the Long Beach boardwalk might be the, my three happy places. Well, Mike, uh, this has been a great uh, breakdown of your life and your career. Uh, we can't thank you enough for the time you spent uh, telling the Hofstra family about uh, who you are and what, what makes you tick. And uh, we, we really uh, appreciate having you on the show today. And uh, I know I speak for Mike, and we wish you uh, tons of luck uh, this season. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks, Mike. Have Thanks, a great Mike. day. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us on Pridecast. Make sure you follow the Pride online at GoHofstra.com and on social media at Hofstra Pride. And stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.